Welcome to Being the Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, we invite a guest to share their experiences of being a Black person in white spaces. Today's guest, your favorite to our daughters, Marcus Burke. And I really thought that this would be a great time to bring him back to talk a little bit more about the Angry Black Men Part 2, but specifically dealing with Black people and those relationships in white spaces. Daughters, please welcome to the podcast, Marcus Burke. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me back. I am thrilled to have you back, and I'm excited about this conversation. And so, so when you think about the between now and the last time that we talked, mm-hmm. as you have traveled in this last year, um, both um, where you currently live and in other places, although I know we've been on lockdown. Um, have you experienced some of that white lash, backlash? Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Honestly, I think I've learned so much more about the interesting part of dealing with other black people in hyper white spaces. Tell us more about that. Um, tell the truth. Don't shame. Tell the truth. Share the devil. That's what you're saying. (laughs) That's what I meant. Okay. I can give you an example. Um, I feel like, you know, I come from a very everyday working class, uh, strata. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have, Outdone the expectations set by me via the vocation of my father mm-hmm. decade decades ago, you know, and um, and it's like you know all of a sudden I found myself. I'm a professor. It, there's a certain strata of life that you're on there, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a certain amount of respect and all the stuff that comes with it, right? Mm-hmm. And I was down here, and I run into a group of gentlemen. And they were all some kind of, I don't know if you want to say, quote, unquote, high powered black man. But it became very apparent very quickly to me that when I got together with these gentlemen, there was very much a congratulatory sentiment about the communal idea that everybody's doing well. Mm -hmm. And. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. You know, you work hard, you can celebrate that, right? But there was a scorpion tail on it that I, I couldn't really get with, which was, aren't we great? Let's toast to our extraordinary accomplishments. And then, say a regular brother that walks in, maybe he worked construction. The way that the gaze at the table will turn to this man as if he is like the worst thing they have ever seen. Wow. And it would really bother me because those that's where I come from. Those are the people that nurtured me mm-hmm. to even be here. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really okay with people talking down on people that maybe don't have as much because mm-hmm. like those are still whole human beings that like uh 
that want the same good things and it's not always their fault that they're in the situation they're in. But I felt like I had come across a group of gentlemen that like had become so out of touch with what it meant to like actually be a black man that maybe doesn't have a PhD Mm -hmm. that maybe, that maybe does have a criminal record. Like, you know, they just, there was a certain way that they were just like, Oh, those guys, you know? So, so, so what you're talking about is classism. Right. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and and in the in white spaces with black people. And one thing that always kind of mystified me about it was that. To me, I almost look at them if we're on a spectrum, there are high class elitist whites. Mm-hmm. And I look at them on the entire other, other end of the spectrum as high class elitist blacks. Mm-hmm. And. It's almost like there's a really messed up psychology to come along with them because they will lie up and down and claim how much they hate white people. Lies. Right? Because these are the same gentlemen that if you see the way they live their lives, if you really meant that, it wouldn't be the way that it is. So what do you mean lies? I I don't understand that. Okay, so we'll just say it, right? I, I, I know a brother, he will remain nameless. He is in fundraising. Mm-hmm. This brother, if you have a drink with this brother, he will sit there for almost two hours and tell you in great detail how much he despises white people. Right? I've been at the bar while it was happening. And then all of a sudden two white people approach us. You've never seen a chameleon change color so fast. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, let me introduce you to this judge. Let me introduce you to this. And next thing you know, by the end of this conversation, I'm like, wait, sir, are you a black Republican? Mm. And and all of a sudden, now I'm the one asking too many questions. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, And so I'll say, like, these gentlemen will claim up and out they hate white people. But really what they hate are common everyday black folk that begin to muddle into the sight of how white people see them. Mm, mm-hmm. And so those are the people that I feel like, uh, for instance, I remember I was with these gentlemen and a guy that we had known had thrown a party. I thought it was a wonderful party. We were out taking a walk and I said, Man, what'd you think of so-and-so's party? And I was so off-put. This gentleman looked at me and said, I was there to support so-and-so, but like that's not my crowd. Those people are ghetto. He hangs out with ghetto people. And I was wow. just like, mm-hmm. I-, I was just kind of like, but we were I, just to me, it was like a beautiful night of like black people having fun. Mm-hmm. And you know, everybody looked nice, nobody got shot. Like, I mean, it was not a ghetto <laughs> event. <laughs> and the way that this brother so flippantly like just dismissed this group of people, mm-hmm. like just their ghetto. I don't really like to mix with people like that. And I was kind of like, but on the other side of this, you know, you're a fundraiser and you do all of this because you want to like fund black programming, but you kind of hate the people that you're claiming to want to. Well, help. but is it is it a hate, Marcus? As much so. or is it is it? internalized racism or it's internalized racism and that's why i say it's a hate because i think it's a Mm -hmm. self-hatred like you 
to me, it's almost like you hate yourself so much that the sight of everyday black people off puts you because you feel like it changes the way that the grand white gaze looks at you. Well, and I think the other piece of it is that as much as it could be internalized racism, there's also some classism connected to it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think about that sometimes that um, the whole question about whether bonnets should be worn in the street or not, right? Mm-hmm. So what is that about? Is that about is that about the dominant narrative, about white supremacy, about uh wanting to uplift each other? Or are you worried about how white people will experience that? I mean, I know that I was acculturated from people that weren't from this country. Right. And so I mean I've been told told since I was a child that a do-rag was something that you wore to bed. Yes, I agree. And it wasn't something that you were to be wearing in the streets. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just because I was acculturated by people that don't come from this country. I don't think that is. I don't think because I will let you know that Alma, my mama, (laughs) had the same thought. See, and I think, honestly, I think that is like a class situation because I I will say... My grandmother from Costa Rica was quite a regal lady. And um, she enjoyed the better things of life. Uh And she didn't apologize about it. And she didn't see any reason why there was an issue that she had those things. And um, there was just a certain way that she wanted you to comport yourself so that you were going to be considered like a respectable individual. Mm -hmm. And By whom? But, and see, the thing is, right, is it was more like by her, like her mm, situation. Okay. Like my grandmother was very simple. I don't want to come outside and see you looking like a vagabond. Okay. She was like, I don't want to see you with the ruffians. I don't want to see you with the. My, my grandmother was saying, don't be a vagabond. And I think what you're tapping into, it's an interesting mixture of class mm-hmm. and race. I think so and they're too. Not always, they're not always in touch with each other because my grandmother was a very high class Costa Rican woman. She might, you know, she grew up, there was tailored clothes every week. They had in-house help, like, you know, just that was the life my grandmother lived. Mm-hmm. And so there were certain ways that she expected that you would behave. Like, if she was riding in the city and she saw me on a known avenue for bad behavior, mm-hmm. it would almost be like the only way I would know is I would see like these globe eyes pass by in the car. Mm-hmm. And, it would just, and then I'd come home and it'd be like, did I see my grandson on Columbia Road? And I'd be like, um, um, uh, maybe. And she'd be like, help me understand what business you have in those places. And Usually I didn't have any good business there, you know, and, and I think it's a thing where sometimes it's interesting because I feel like there can be this narrative that there aren't black people that aren't struggling. Like, like, you know, it's almost like they mass us together as like this big rock of struggle Mm -hmm. and there's, everything has gradients, right? Like, there are black people that are doing very well for themselves and they do not feel some of these things every day. And I think it's a thing where 
sometimes I wonder if it's a thing where some people have stratified and overcome in a way that they forget what it's like for everybody that has not. Well, it's an interesting kind of thing. So on Sunday, um, David and I were out for brunch in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And, oh, lovely. And we, we did a getaway. It was fantastic. But um, Good seafood down there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we were at a restaurant that I uh, call Miss Shirley's. And it is uh, very, very popular uh, in Baltimore with everyone. And so, uh, but it, it serves all the things. Um, so tons of um, black and brown people, but also white people. It's been on diners, drive-ins and dives, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's a little high end, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a group of young people, black and brown young people, in their 20s, who were mm, loud and boisterous and having a good time, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. And I found myself having a reaction to them. Just, you want to tell them to just, just pull it in a little bit? And But then, and I even said to David, I'm so glad we didn't get sat near them. I didn't want to deal with all those shenanigans. <laughs> right but then I was like so what's that like what are you concerned mm. are you con- you concerned about how white people are experiencing them and mm. they're seeming a little too boisterous for them or mm-hmm. like what what is really going on here mm-hmm. um and I don't I don't know that I ever reconciled it um honestly um but it, but it it did it was one of those things that that made me say hmm. See, it's an interesting thing because I remember I was having a conversation with these gentlemen, and I started to see the way in which they were judging each other and persisting in each other's presence, and. That was something that really gave me pause because I was like, well, what is that? Because it felt very inauthentic to me where if these guys claim to be friends, why is it when I get one-on-one with one of them, they start talking bad about the whole other group? How much have you had to deal with complexities in your relationships with black and brown people at work and um, and just kind of really dealing with managing those relationships? Well, interestingly enough, um, I don't work with a great group of brown people at my current institution. I don't um, have many of those relationships to foster. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say there was Is that numerical or something else? Um, It's a mixture of the both. You know, I'd say it's numerical and then the brothers that I have run into out here are so in competition with each other that you know I, I'll say that this will I'll say this will be what put me off to trying to actually delve into to delve deeper sometimes into like trying to see what was going on with those relationships. You know, I did an event for Martin Luther King Day, right? Mm-hmm. I drove this brother home. I just met him. We sat in the car outside his house. We talked maybe an hour or two. Building. Thought it was a great conversation. However, when I just meet people, 
and they start talking bad about somebody that I know, mm-hmm. it sets off red flags. And I'm like, why are you trying to call my opinion to this person? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it was a good conversation, but I felt a little weird after because I was like, I don't really like people that do that. You know, like I don't, you know, because that's your issue with this person. That's not my issue with this person. So like, don't, don't mix me up. Sure. Right? So now I called the other brother because we were friends and I said, Hey man, uh, what's up with you and, and buddy? You know, it seemed like there was some friction there. And this man told me, Oh, we're, I'm on my way to have lunch with him now. Mm. Stacy, I was floored. Wow. Because I was like, wow. Wait, this man was dragging your mud, your name through the mud to hell last night. Wow. And now you guys are about to sit down and have what of a lunch? Like, what valid is going to be exchanged in this lunch? And then I started to realize, like, so is this just professionalism where there's this kind of facade of camaraderie sure. for, for, like, a greater good elsewhere? But we know that, like, we don't really get along. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... Even in my life as a young black man, I have had to separate myself. I mean, I am in an interracial marriage. People have a lot to say about that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm always amused and I welcome them to speak their minds. But usually that puts them in a place where it's usually going to be one of the last times we speak to each other. Sure, of course. And, you know... I can tell you, like, one of these gentlemen I was running with, I gave this man a copy of my book. And my wife is on the dedication page. Mm -hmm. And this man picked up a pen and scribbled out her name and said, I can't believe you would put a white woman on these pages. Wow. And that in that moment... I had to process, like, what just happened here? Wow. And as I tried to chart my own growth in another life, Mm -hmm. violence may have ensued. Right, right. But as you start to realize, like, I just cannot behave this way anymore. I can't do these things. I can't take these chances. Like, I, you know, it's not even about them. It's about you. You got things to do, to lose. And, And so... I let it ride for a second. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, this this gentleman and I had spoken earlier in the day. And he had said, are you and your fiance together? I said, yes. Now, in a group chat with all these gentlemen, he sends out a meme that says, Uh for all of you fellas in interracial relationships, just remember that white people can have children and be racist too. Look at slave owners. And this is a gentleman that like had intimate knowledge that me and my fiance were like together at the time. And so I don't really do passive aggressive. Sure. I'm not really a coward either. You know, I don't really throw rocks and hide my hands. Mm-hmm. And so I said, hey, brother, you know, and then another guy came on and serendipitously just randomly said, hey, Marcus. And I was like, oh, so you want to get involved, too, huh? 
you know, because everybody thinks it's a big joke, right? And and even in dealing with these men, I had also dealt with static from their wives. Mm. There was one time we were at a brunch, and it was kind of amazing because there was a woman there, and she found out that my fiance was white, and she went in. She she wanted to know if if she was even prettier, if she was some whale I took out of a trailer park. And I kind of looked at that moment as a moment where I was like, well, clearly this is a... Con- I'll say this, right? One time I went to church with these folks, right? And the same woman that, you know, was carrying on with me, and I did not disrespect this woman. I wanted to call her every bad word in the book, but I was like, you know what? Her husband is here. Her child is here. I can take this because I don't ever have to be around her. Sure, sure, sure. We were standing around after church, and they said, uh, where do you want to go to eat? And another brother I don't deal with anymore said, oh, you know, we could go anywhere. And then this woman looked and said, okay, let's go to the 99. Let's go to Chili's. Let's go eat with the poor's. And I was like, what? That's funny to you? Wow. And it's because she comes from wealth. Her husband is a very wealthy man. I have a lot of respect for him. And I was just very off put because I was like, maybe I come from the poorest. Maybe you do. So so how did you, how did you, so it sounds like you connected with this group of folks in a new town. mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that you found it to be good initially, and then yes. not as good. And I, how I, did you? What did you do to cope? And and how? What was your strategy around dealing with it? It sounds like you disconnected from them somewhat, but in the interim, what kinds of things helped you? Well, the thing is, is I can take a joke, mm-hmm. right? And at first, I kind of, I, I, I guess, I'm the kind of person that, like, if I'm gonna bring an issue to you. In my youth, I was impulsive. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you say something, I'm going to star right then. But now, no, I, I, I hold my peace and I just wait. Like, make, I, I feel like if you stop and think for a second, if you don't react immediately, maybe you can gain some perspective because feelings are fickle. They are. You know, like sometimes in the moment you're like, but then when you settle down, you're like, boy, I'm glad I didn't just run with that. Mm-hmm, one, right? mm-hmm. So... I would say I started feeling uncomfortable around these gentlemen. And uh, initially, I kind of separated myself because the whole group doesn't have this sentiment. There's just a couple that force a dominant narrative. Mm, mm -hmm. And a couple of them started peeping that, like, whenever this would come up, like, my whole energy changed. Sure. And I started asking people like, why? You know, I started asking questions that like, you know, if you're initiated to street jargon, that uh, meant this is gonna go somewhere else soon if you don't want it to, if you don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and in those moments, I didn't understand why, for us to be friends, or we're becoming friends, or we're becoming acquainted. What about that means that you disrespecting the dynamics of my family? Mm. It's something that I should accept. Mm-hmm. 
or something that I should think is like palatable because of your own whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of amazing because then when this gentleman said the whole thing about slave owners owning interracial kids and selling them and and again, I don't give people the out of ignorance when I know they know. Mm-hmm. And so when this gentleman, so, and he was very arrogant when I addressed him about it too. I said, I don't throw rocks and hold my hands. I said, what are you talking about, sir? And, and then he tried to deny it. I'm not talking about you. You just chill out. And I was like, no, you are. And you know, you are. And so he was arrogant that night. He wanted to tell me oh, whatever with you, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay. But then I noticed that I started hearing from these, from some of these gentlemen individually. And there's one that I'm still cool with to this day. He hit me up and was like, listen, man, don't mix me up in that. Like, I never agreed with it. And when I thought back on it, every time something was said, he would be like, man, you need to stop that. <laughs> man, you know, you know, and, you know, the other gentleman that his wife had gone way past her place, me and him had a man-to-man conversation. And he said, I did say something. Like, I, I understood that that, like, wasn't really cool. And I'm not like so hard. I can't accept like a rupture and a repair, right? Sure. Like, you know, it's not like we let it ride. He's like, I, I didn't have to bring it up to him. He said, I know I probably didn't sit well with you. We had a chat. Don't worry about it, right? Now, then this gentleman calls me, and see, by the time him and I had spoken, there was nothing for us to do. I had the case was done. I said, you're disrespectful. You have whatever kind of racial issues that you have, but I'm just, I don't deal with that in my life. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, and I said to him, and what troubles me about somebody like you is the hypocritical state of your life in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. Because for you to wake up every day a black man and you hate the people that you need to go and beg for money all day you sit there and you buck dance and comport yourself to look like a certain kind of man for these people. And what does that do to you though? Mm -hmm. Because see, he had, you know, you can hate on me because I show up on campus as a whole black man, my whole black self, and they knew what they were getting when they got me. Sure. So I don't really feel like I need to do anything more than I've been doing. I don't have to all of a sudden start wearing three piece suits to campus because that's just not me. Right. And it was interesting because, like, basically, homie had said to me, like, you're refreshing because, like, I don't understand, like, how you keep it so real in public. And that boggled my mind because I was like, I don't know any other way to be. Yeah. Well, but 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 I think what it speaks to, though, is this notion of um, acculturation and assimilation. Mm. That's what I really Mm. meant. And Mm. how, um, which is a whole nother talk show. Um, we, we all wear the mask or choose to engage with the mask, as Langston mm-hmm. Hughes says, in varying ways. And I think, like, the biggest thing that I have done to kind of combat some of the, like, race-based aggression mm-hmm. in, in, inside of these spaces where I can see the frenemy nature, like, I actually... I guess I'm a person that has always been a bit of a, I wouldn't say I'm a loner. I would say I foster great singular relationships rather than running with a group. Okay. Okay. And, you know, 
when I separated from this group of gentlemen, I didn't malice all of them because I think once I thought through it, all of them hadn't done me something. Mm. But I did have to separate myself from the group in a way that I'm like, I'm not going to work with certain individuals because I understand that there are people that have a smallness inside themselves that they need to have validated within this grand group so that now you can feel strong because you're with your homeboys. And I'm a bit more of like a wolf, you know, or, you know, like they don't perform in the circus. And uh, I, I, I separated myself from that group of gentlemen. And I was riding with somebody and somebody said to me, are you afraid that you burnt bridges with them? And I said, I couldn't burn bridges with them because the way that I am situated, the mechanics of how my life worked, they could never trifle with. I didn't need them to get here, so I don't need them to be here. Right. And, you know, if anything, I think it would be more of a bonus for me to join them, but I don't. So I left that group and I actually started my own programming. Wow. Where I, because of that group, I'd been exposed to some of the brown populations, black populations, underserved. And I got the idea that these people didn't feel as if my institution cared about them in earnest. Mm -hmm. So I brought that information back to a meeting with my chair. And I said, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what they're feeling. I don't really know if I believe it, but, you know, you can't tell people they're wrong if that's how they feel. They feel that way for a reason. Mm -hmm. So my challenge more was, well, I'm tired of placebo progress. Don't get me any pies. Don't get me any chicken and, and, and soul food and a T-shirt and a sing-along. And then we're going to go right back to slaughtering Negroes next week. I don't want to hear it. You know, like, I want you to lead with your chest. And I will say that I have been very impressed with the chair of my department. Mm-hmm. We have a, a wonderful working relationship and he sees the vision, you know, like, we have three programs right now that are all feeding into the, to each other mm-hmm. that are focused on diversity. That's awesome. We have the STEP program, which is the student teacher English program, where we are bringing in students of color, underrepresented students to come down to our campus, take a, compos- take a composition writing class. Mm-hmm. And if they like the class, they can enroll in our MA program full ride 80k wow and this is because my chair said to have more black teachers you gotta have black more black students you do it's very and so you know we're actively pursuing bringing those so we're bringing seven students down to to flagship the program wow and then i started what is called the young writers workshop Uh where I did a regional call for students and I brought in three high powered mentors. I brought in Deshaun, Charles Winslow, Krista Frazier, and Jason England. And they're going to mentor these students over the next eight weeks. And then it will all culminate where we fly everybody down to Texas Tech and we have a residency week. And nice. we teach them, we pour into them. We're going to print out a little book for them. We're going to give them readings. We'll give them craft talks. And 
just begin to foster a relationship with those students so that, you know, when it comes time, they consider they can come and consider studying with us. I think. So one of the things that you did to cope is that you started your own thing. Mm-hmm. Which is I, I, I just decided that I wasn't going to. Well, the thing was, is once I can no longer respect the moral compass of the leadership, I can no longer be a part of an organization. I understand. I understand. And I feel like I, I'm the one that makes people nervous because I got really deep in the fold. I learned way too much. And then I decided I didn't like what I saw and I left. Mm -hmm. So those, I feel like I'm in the category of person that like, if I was interested in like trying to down the character of other black men, Mm-hmm. You know, I know too much. I understand. You, I, do. And, I do. I do. And it's a thing that, like, you know, I always think back to this individual that I met when I was in Robben Island in South Africa. Mm-hmm. He had been locked up with Mandela, and he had been there for 20-some-odd years, and he was there giving free tours. I could not fathom this. Mm-hmm. So I said to the man, like, how, how how do you do this all day? Like, you were locked up here unjustly. And he said, you can't heal a wound with more hatred. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, though I was, I felt attacked for my family makeup that I'm not embarrassed about. Like, <laughs> I'm a whole black man every day of the week. Every um, day. Every day, um, I felt like it doesn't make you look good to try and go on the streets and malign the characters of others, mm-hmm. regardless of what they did to you, mm-hmm. because you're going to start looking like a fanatic. And so I just decided, like, those gentlemen are doing good work, but I, in and of myself, can do good work, and I don't need any of them to do it. I understand that. Let me Let me stop you just for a second, if I could. Is there something that you find yourself particularly angered by or reactive to? I think if there's something as a black man that I feel myself more angered by than reactive to, because as a black man, the way in which you respond to things tells a great deal about how your self-preservation is going to work moving forward. But I do find myself agitated by, I just think even, you know, addressing just like the little situation I have with the gentleman down here, like one day they were kind of making some jokes and I looked at the guy and I said, why are you doing this? And he said, man, just own it. You know, you seem it. And I said, sir, I have been with my fiance for over 10 years. Don't tell me anything about owning anything. Let's stop and let me ask you, why it is that you think it's a good idea to try and trifle in these demographics of my life right now. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, you're getting too intense. And, and, and I think it's not that, but it's just a thing that I'm a person that's hyper aware that like underneath jokes is true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just love some people that like want to make all the jokes mm-hmm. and, then when you're like, I don't know if I'm amused anymore, <laughs> then you're the one that's aggressive. Sure. And I guess I just think 
that when you're a semi-public figure in a certain right, your humanity is grandly diminished and you're looked at for what you represent in terms of your medals or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I say that's kind of like the zoo, you know, like mm-hmm. everybody can come and look, but they start tapping the glass and you turn and show your fangs. Now you're the angry black man. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much again. That was really rich. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. It's always a pleasure. This episode was edited by Nikki Anderson. Special thanks to our interns, Amanda Gillette, and other contributors. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by davidsdeliciousdelights.com. DavidsDeliciousDelights.com. Custom-made, personalized cakes, pies, cookies, and pastries made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit DavidsDeliciousDelights.com and use the coupon code BEINGTHEDOT for 20% off orders of $34.99 or more. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.